Good morning. Wow, look at that. First time, Dean. You can only be envious. Well, you warmed them up for me. Jenny, thank you for that song. That was a blessing. My message today is simply titled, The Life of the Apostle Paul. And we're going to read a portion of scripture, and that's our text this morning, at the end of his life, as he sums up his life. But we will be reading a lot of scripture because we want to look at Paul's life this morning through his own words. Paul was so instrumental in my life as he has been in so many Christians over the years. I find Paul's life simply infectious. As you read about Paul in Acts, as you read the letters he wrote to the churches, his spirit is contagious. His spirit is real. But before we read the scripture, the first one this morning, let's take a moment and pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We look to you today, Lord Jesus, to feed us, to instruct us, to encourage us, to challenge us through the life of your servant, Paul. Just ask that you be with me and that you direct me. And we pray for our guests this morning, Lord. We pray that as they hear about Paul's life, whether it's the first time or they've heard many times, they would be blessed. And also they would know how welcome they are by each and every one here. So just bless them. And last, Lord, if there is anybody here that it not has not discovered how much you love them, they have not known you as their Lord and Savior, we would pray that today they might discover this gift of eternal life that you so eagerly want to give it to them. And we just thank you now in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. We will start with 2 Timothy 4, 6 and 7. Um, Please turn there. But after that, please do not exhaust yourself trying to Keep up. Um, It is not necessary. If anyone wants a copy of the notes later, they can have them with all the different scriptures. But the Lord just impressed upon me that no one can talk about Paul's life better than Paul. And I've chosen some of the scriptures this morning that over the years have been very instrumental in my life, very full of instruction, and full of blessing. There are many more. I've just chosen a few. And so as you think, but he didn't say this one, or how about that one? Believe me, there's an ocean of just blessed um, scripture written by Paul. But 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, this is penned as he awaits his execution in prison. 
And he is reflecting and he has been instructing Timothy in the second book of Timothy on a variety of subjects. So many, so profitable, not only to Timothy, but for all Christians. But here he testifies the following. For I am ready, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Such a strong statement by such a godly man. Ladies, the Lord gave me this on Monday. So I'm happy to follow Sylvia's message on the same. She has paved the way, so to speak. I can't say she took it from me because she prepared hers the the week before. But it's amazing how the Lord would work. But it is such an impassioned statement by Paul. But let's remember at the beginning of Paul's life, that wasn't his name. His name growing up and as he became a Pharisee was Saul. And Saul was an enemy of Jesus Christ and his followers. And a few scriptures to confirm that. And out of his own words, he was a Pharisee. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, and he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. So he had much to be proud of. And at that point in his life, when he was Saul, he was very proud of it. Later on, he says it was all simply rubbish in comparison to a life in Christ. We see Saul, the executioner, in Acts 7.58. When they had driven him out of the city, that was Stephen, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. In Acts 8.1-3, through 3, um, it shows exactly what Saul thought of the stoning of Stephen. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death, that is Stephen. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Bad guy, you bet. There wasn't a more bad guy towards Christians than Saul back in those days. But you know, like today, and if there's anyone in this audience that is not a Christian and says they are beyond being saved because they've led too bad a life, well, I'm here to tell you about a man whose life was far worse than yours. If you're saying this this morning, no one is beyond the salvation of Jesus Christ And Jesus Christ is in the business of redeeming bad guys. Amen? Okay. So there Saul set out to persecute, murder, and capture Christians. And he asked for the priest to give him the papers. And on his way to Damascus, Saul, soon to be Paul, had a divine intervention of mercy and grace. 
from the book of Acts. Saul, Saul, the Lord says, why are you persecuting me? And look at the instantaneous response of Saul to Jesus Christ when spoken to that shows you what was in this man to come. He simply says, who are you, Lord? Saul knew he was dealing with no ordinary voice. He knew he was having a conversation with the Almighty. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. And it was. And he left Damascus no longer Saul. He left Damascus as Paul. And like each and every one of us, though he was qualified in the scriptures, though he was a scholar, though he was a Pharisee, the Lord directed his path into the wilderness for a time in Arabia so God could teach him and transform his character as each and every one of us need. And so we start to see Paul's life through his own writings. We see what his thoughts were on salvation. Ephesians 2, 1 and 9, Paul says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. That is every one of us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Hence, put to rest, you can work your way to heaven, it will never happen. He also says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And he so eloquently pens in all simplicity the words, the ideas, the concept, how we become born again in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. He says the following, and this is the blueprint for salvation for all Christians, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth confesses, resulting in salvation. There it is. He also told us about the benefits of salvation in Romans 5, 6 through 11 and selected portions of that follow. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Therein is a benefit. Paul also tells us in his own words what happens when we get saved? He tells us we've been delivered in Colossians 1.13. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us from the kingdom to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
He also tells us with his own words that we've been bought. We've been purchased in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God, that is the Holy Spirit. And you are not your own. I repeat, you are not your own. You have been bought by it with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Paul also tells us what takes place when we're saved. Paul talks about a changed life in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul understood the new life in Christ. He says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. How positive was Paul's reflection on his saved character and each and every one of ours. He also told us that we now have the Holy Spirit in us and what the benefit was to be having the Holy Spirit as a new believer and as an old believer in us in Galatians 5.23. But the fruits of the Spirit are love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He says, against such there is no law. He instructs each and every Christian how they should walk in their new Christian life. They should walk with consistency in Colossians 2.6. From the moment they're saved till the day they go to be with the Lord This is how he says we should walk. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Paul's instructions were never complicated, were never confusing. They were always simple to understand because we need simple instructions. He talked about strength, where we get our strength in Philippians 4.13. He tells us, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He speaks on faithfulness in 2 Timothy 2.13. And he talks about the faithfulness of God in that portion of Scripture. And whereas we as Christians, you know, we're not always faithful. We're not always what we should be. But here's the redeeming love and the faithfulness of God. So, so simply put in this verse of scripture, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. So his faithfulness is never dependent on how we act. He also spoke about humility. That was such an awesome statement. I remember as a young Christian when I saw it, it struck me so hard. And it brought tears to my eyes. When I realized that 
This man in the scriptures was becoming my hero. And we need heroes today. The world's full of heroes, but you know every single one of them sooner or later lets down all the people that have held them so high. But parents, let your kids find their heroes in here. Show them the true heroes of history. In humility, Paul pens in 1 Timothy 1.15, it is a trustworthy statement. And that gives full impact to his message when he says this in the scriptures. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. I'm telling you, when I read that, it just struck me. Paul? Paul? The greatest of the apostles? The man who wrote so many books? Yes. Paul never forgot. Saul, the executioner was in his history. But grace and mercy met him on that road in Damascus, and he never forgot that. He always thought of himself as foremost of all sinners, saved by grace. He showed us what God's will for, was for our life. People are always walking around, I don't want to know God's will. How do I know God's will? And he put it down so simply and yet, it can become such a struggle for so many if God isn't reigning in your life. God needs to be reigning in your life. God needs to have full say in your life. God cannot do this following scripture in your life if you're in any sense in rebellion or stiff-necked or callous. But if you are asking with all sincerity, Jesus, this morning, I want to know God's will. Here it is. It's so simple. First Thessalonians chapter five, verses 16, 17 and 18. Rejoice always. How often? Always. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. How often? In everything, give thanks. In how much? Oof. For this is God's will for you. Wow. Now, when he says pray without ceasing, prayer, again, what is prayer? Prayer is having a conversation with our Savior. Prayer is having a conversation with our Heavenly Father. Prayer is conversing with our God reverently, respectfully, surrendered, but having conversation. We are not to start with a prayer in the morning. We're not to end with a prayer in the, in, as we go to bed, unless during the day we have conversations with him. And not, although it's obviously an important part, help Lord along the way. We do that, don't we? Oh, Lord, I need help for this interview. Oh, Lord, I, I need help accomplishing this task. Oh, Lord, I need wisdom with these children. Whatever it is, we do. We converse with him. But we should also be praying for others. We should also be burdened for those around us who do not know the Lord. So we need to pray without ceasing. 
that if we have a thankful spirit, we will be not be stubborn, stiff-necked, bitter, resentful, or whatever. If we can genuinely give thanks for everything. But that is the spirit that is totally free from self. Paul also tells us about Christ's love. Now, Christ's love is so uniquely different from the love that mankind has. Mankind has two types of love. There's an Eros love, which is of the physical, with a sanctified marriage between a man and a woman. Then there is Philadelphia. Filio comes from the word Philadelphia, comes from Filio. Brotherly love, friendship love, companion love, things like this. God enters into the picture with a new type of love. It's called agape. God-given man from his birth does not possess this love, cannot possess this love, cannot follow this love until he's born again, until she's born again. Here's some excerpts from Paul's writings in his own words in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Oh, boy. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into an account a wrong suffered. Wow. Oh, boy. No scoreboard. Throw the scoreboard out in life. Sorry, you can't tally from your own perception what you think are the wrongs done to you. There is no place in the Christian's life for this kind of mentality. Trust me, the scriptures say it. What does God say to do? The impossibility for man to do? Love. And don't take into account a wrong suffered. Now, there is such a thing as righteous anger, so misinterpreted by so many in a state of rebellion. Do not take into an account suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. In other words, we're just downright happy when somebody else succeeds. We're downright happy with them when they're blessed. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. This love in God's will doesn't fail. It endures. Paul told us about that. Paul had that kind of love. That's why Paul was able to do so many things for the Lord. Paul told us about the proper perspective. Philippians 1.21 is his one of his famous Quotes, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul couldn't wait to get to see his Savior, but Paul knew that's not in his hands. It's in the Almighty's hands. And until that, he just wants to live for Jesus Christ who redeemed him, saw the executioner, gave him mercy, gave him grace, gave him opportunity to go out and save souls. And that's what he lived for. He told us about a holy life, a holy, sanctified life in Christ is what we are to lead. 
He talked about a forgiving spirit. And this is so essential in the life of a Christian. You cannot walk right with God unless you have a forgiving spirit. I repeat, these are God's words. These are not my words. These are Paul's words inspired by God. We cannot but have a forgiving spirit. The amazing thing when Christians struggle with forgiveness, so many times they're confused on who needs to be forgiven for what. There's the gift of assumption. Some of us had it. Some of us have it. We assume what we think things are. Therefore, we get bitter. Therefore, we get anger. Therefore, we get resentful and over things that don't even exist. Because we, not walking with God, have the wrong perspective. So he says, have a forgiving spirit. And here's how he sobers up the Christians with this forgiving spirit in Ephesians 4, 33 and 31, 33, excuse me, 30 and 31, excuse me. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. You say, well, I have a hard time doing that. I got a lot of stuff built up. I got a lot of tallies on my board. Okay. Here's what cancels your board. Here's what cancels your bad attitude. Here's what cancels your rebellious spirit. Here's what cancels your wrong walk with God. The next part of this verse of scripture. Just as God forgave you in Christ Jesus. Who here needed to be? Who here? Who here? Deserved to be forgiven. Raise your hand. Nobody. We deserve death. We deserve the penalty. We deserve the destination. But mercy, but grace, but God's love interfered in our lives and forgave us. If God, who is perfect, who is loving, who is full of grace, who is God, who is perfect, who is loving, who is full of grace, forgave us who deserved none of it. How do we decide we can't forgive someone else? You know what you're doing? You know what I'm doing if we're there? We're elevating ourselves above the level of God and saying, I'm more important than God. I decide who I'm going to forgive and who I'm not going to forgive. Not an option. No board, no tally. No keeping score. Grace. Forgiveness. Paul talked about a practical walk in Jesus. In Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind 
so that you may prove the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's how we walk in this world. Paul knew about being spiritually prepared. Paul talked about in Ephesians 6, 10 through 13, that there is a spiritual warfare going on in the heavenlies that we cannot see. But he tells us to put on the spiritual armor of God. And I encourage you someday to read it if you haven't and study it about the armor of God. We get in trouble as Christians when that armor comes off. Because one of the weapons in the armor that he talks about is the shield of faith. And when the shield of faith isn't there, the fiery missiles from the evil one get through and penetrate us, penetrate our heart. A few samples of the arrows. Why does she have that and I don't? That isn't what I wanted. I don't feel like doing that. I don't want to love that person. And you know, the devil will be your coach. The devil will be your mentor every time you want to go down one of those trails. But God says, keep up the spirit, the shield of faith and repel such attacks. Paul talks about our spiritual place in the home. In Ephesians 5, again, 22 through 29, it talks about each and every person in that family, how they're to live in relationship spiritually, assuming that each and every person in that home is saved and walking with God in obedience to God. And Paul knew heartbreak in his life as we have. In 2 Timothy Chapter 4, verse 10, he says, For Demas, having loved this present world, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas was with him a long, long time. He wasn't there for a week or two. He had been with Paul for quite some time. But when the walk got difficult, Demas threw in the towel, wasn't ready to take the persecution, wasn't ready to be a true friend and support Paul in his difficulty, and ran back to the thing he truly loved, which is the world. Paul knew when difficulty comes our way and what to do with it. In Philippians 4, 6, 7, and 8, he says, be anxious for nothing. What a remarkable statement, huh? All you can do is raise your hands and say, help, Lord, be anxious for nothing. But remember, he gave this to us to help us out in our life with the solutions of our life. And unfortunately, there are times when we do get anxious. But this is what he tells us to do. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, which is heavy prayer. With thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that isn't enough. He says, finally, brethren, here's where we dwell. When you give him your anxious thoughts, when you give him your difficulties and the impossibilities that are confronting you in your life, 
Here's what he tells you to do. He tells you now, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of a good report, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. This will give you the balance. Otherwise, you know what? We run right back to our anxieties, don't we? Paul also told us what life would be like in the end times. Folks, when I read this portion, you tell me or not if we're in the end times. Second Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 9 portions of those scriptures. But realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self. Lovers of self. We're surrounded by things that cater to self in this world, cater to the flesh. Pride and arrogance, unbelievable at such a level. There's a statement, another way of saying lovers of self, full of self and empty of Christ. Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these who are always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. There is the days we live in. The warning for Christians are not to let these things take hold of us. We are not to be lovers of money. We're not to be full of ourself. We're not to get proud and arrogant over what we have or what we possess. We are to be thankful. We are to give him the honor and the glory always. And now, once again, we, we move back to Paul's final words. As his life was finished, as he was waiting the executioner to come and take him out of his cell, we end with the words we started. Would everyone bow your head and just close your eyes? And listen to Paul's words now as we've heard and understood what his life has been about. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. With heads bowed, eyes closed, three questions, and we will end in prayer. This morning, are we fighting the good fight? 
Are we still fighting the good fight? Have we been fighting the good fight? Are we finishing the course? Or have we come off the course? Have we lost our way from the course? Are we finishing the course? And are we keeping the faith? Do we still have the faith in Jesus Christ? Is he still in control in our life? He's wanting it. He's wanting to bless. He's wanting to direct. He's wanting us to have the good fight. He wants us to finish the course. And he wants us to keep the faith in him. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for this time. We just ask that you would take your word and treasure it in our hearts that we might not sin against thee. Bless us this day, Lord. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We look forward to the baptism later on and the wonderful testimonies we'll hear about your saving grace and faith. In your precious name we pray. Amen.